Night Terror by Kelly Kennedy from Associated Press. As residents slept, much of a Florida condominium building collapsed, killing scores and sending survivors fleeing for their lives. But amid the rubble and dust, heroes appeared as neighbour reached out to neighbour. Sixty-one-year-old Alfredo Lopez and his 67-year-old wife, Marion, were asleep when the first thundering blast jolted them awake at 1.14am on Thursday, June 24 last year. Moments later, a second boom, much louder than the first, shook the bed on the sixth floor of their apartment in Surfside, just north of Miami Beach, Florida. Alfredo rushed to wake his 24-year-old son, Michael, urging him to get dressed, before running to the balcony window. He could see only thick, white dust. The lights cut out and the emergency alarm came on, warning the residents of the Champlain Towers south to evacuate. Alfredo thought about putting on trainers, but his hands were shaking so badly he knew he couldn't tie the laces. So he settled on sandals with straps. Marion was disoriented. She fumbled for shoes as her husband pressed her impatiently. She put on a handy pair of slippers instead. The Lopez family had lived for two decades on the street side of the condominium building. Alfredo used to joke to his wife that she'd have to bury him there. That prediction almost came to pass. When he opened the front door to the hallway that night, half the building was gone. A jagged 1.5-metre chunk of flooring barely left enough room to escape. There was no hallway, no ceiling, no apartments, no walls, nothing, he says. In fact, he was staring at the moonlit ocean. Roughly half of the apartments in the 13-storey, 136-unit complex had collapsed, pancaking one residence on top of another. Anyone looking at the building from the vantage point of the beach would see entire rooms exposed. Alfredo stood in his apartment's threshold, frozen in terror, unable to move. I was petrified. I really thought, this is it. We are going to die. Sometimes the line between life and death is as seemingly random as an ocean or street view, an odd or even unit. As became clear in the days after, 98 people would die when Champlain Tower South collapsed. Many of the casualties lived in the units facing the ocean. Those facing the street managed to escape, albeit barely. With the lift collapsed, the survivors descended a cracked stairwell. Along the way, they helped neighbours they met for the first time and others they'd known for years. All joined through this tragedy for forever now, says Albert Aguero, who helped an 88-year-old stranger to safety. While their escape felt agonisingly long, it all unfolded quickly. In those perilous seconds, before the world knew of the carnage, they were fighting to survive. When I opened the staircase door and half the staircase was missing, at that point I knew we were racing against time to all get out as a family, Albert says. Down on the ground floor, in Unit 111, a two-bedroom apartment, Recent university graduate Gabrielle Neer had just finished a late-night workout and was in the kitchen. The rest of the family would normally be asleep, but his 15-year-old sister, Chani, had just returned from babysitting and was in the shower. His dad was out of town, and his mother, Sarah, had just come home from an event. They all heard the first thunderous rumble. They knew the building was undergoing construction, and they had been irritated by the incessant noise, but this felt different. 
Sarah ran to the lobby, asking the security guard what had happened. The guard was as clueless as she was. Neither of them knew that the pool deck had collapsed into the garage below. Back in the Nears kitchen, thick concrete dust came rushing into their apartment from the patio windows near the pool. The ground was shaking as 25-year-old Gabriel ran to the bathroom. We have to go now, he screamed to his sister. He grabbed his phone, then he and Chani, wearing only a bathroom flip-flops and a towel wrapped round her hair, fled their apartment and ran to the lobby. Through the lobby's windows and glass doors, the Nears could see the damage outside. The car deck had caved into the parking garage. Car alarms were blaring, emergency lights were flashing and water was rapidly filling the garage where pipes had burst. Residents were running out the door screaming, many still in pyjamas, one man pushing a baby stroller. As the rumbling intensified, Gabrielle pushed his mother and sister safely into the street. Run! Run! he ordered. Tiny rocks and bits of debris pelted his head as he turned back to face an image that still haunts him. I saw the building turning into a white dust, he says, describing the complex as part of it crumbled, much of it atop his family's apartment. I heard people screaming. I have to go back, he yelled to his mother and sister. I have to make sure everyone's okay. But he knew it was too late. Up on the 11th floor, Albert Aguero stared in disbelief at the gaping holes in the lift shaft. Half of the neighbouring apartment was sheared off. The power was out. Albert wondered if it had been struck by lightning. The fit 42-year-old former university athlete was visiting from New Jersey with his wife Jeanette, 14-year-old daughter Athena and 22-year-old son Justin Willis, a university baseball player. His son thought a plane had crashed into the building, but there was little time to talk as they rushed into the stairwell, wondering if there was enough time to descend 11 floors before more of the building collapsed. No one panicked or cried. There was no time to react. Just make your move, Albert says. Each time they descended another level, they yelled out the floor number, a small victory of survival, one floor closer to freedom. The swirling dust and ash made it difficult to see a few metres in any direction. To make sure they hadn't lost anyone, they frequently called out to each other. Justin, are you still there? Babe, are you okay? At the sixth floor landing, they ran into the Lopez's and the two families proceeded down together. At the fifth floor, Jeanette heard banging on the staircase. The rocking of the building had warped the door frame, which in turn jammed the door shut. Using all her strength, Jeanette wrenched it open and a few more residents joined them on the stairs. Included in the group was 62-year-old Susanna Alvarez, who was clutching Esther Gorfinkel, one of the building's original tenants. Alvarez asked Albert and his son to help Gorfinkel as they continued their descent. There were some cracks and gaps down the stairwell, but nothing unpassable. Still, the pace was too much for Gorfinkel. Don't worry about me, she said, trying to wave them on without her. I'm 88. I've had a good life. But Albert was determined they were all going to make it out alive. They moved carefully and quickly, no pushing or trampling. You're going to be fine, he reassured her. We're going to make sure you make it to 89. On the ninth floor, Reza Rodriguez and her neighbour Yadira Santos huddled in the hallway, along with Santos's 10-year-old son, Kai, and their Maltese puppy. They'd already seen that the other half of the building was gone, 
and assumed the stairwells were too. She thought their only chance of escape was to wait on a balcony until fire trucks arrived. In the chaos, her brother Fred called. He had rushed to the building and was standing outside. He kept repeating the same urgent warning. Get out of there! Get out, he pleaded. She argued that there was no way out. The stairs were gone. A firefighter grabbed Fred's phone and uttered a chilling command. You need to find a way out. They headed to the stairwell. When they reached the eighth floor, they found 84-year-old Ada Lopez waiting with her walker. Rodriguez rushed ahead to see if there was a way out as the others helped Ada down the stairwell, bumping into the Aguero and Lopez clans along the way. But when Rodriguez reached the flooded parking garage, she turned around. She worried that with all the damage, there was a good chance she'd be electrocuted. Rodriguez rushed back upstairs to her party. While the Aguero and Lopez group continued down to the garage, Rodriguez chose a different path, leading her friends out of the stairwell at the second floor. There, they discovered that someone had left their apartment door open. They ran to the balcony which faced the street side and called down to a rescue team outside. Soon, first responders manoeuvred a cherry picker towards them. One by one, they stepped in and were brought down to the street and to safety. Back in the stairwell, the Aguero and Lopez families were still making their way towards the garage. As they descended, Susana Alvarez paused as she remembered Hilda Noriega on the sixth floor. She was like family. They'd spent many holidays together. Noriego and Alvarez's mother had been best friends since their days in Cuba. Can I rescue her? Can I go get her, she thought frantically. But she knew the wing of the building Noriega lived in was gone. I had already seen the building, so I kept going. Meanwhile, Esther Gorfinkel was flagging. They were moving too fast, she complained. Her knee was in pain. Without thinking, Alfredo threw her over his shoulder and pressed on. We became like a caravan, he said. But the caravan was in for a surprise. Though they weren't worried about being electrocuted, as Rodriguez had feared earlier, their way out was obstructed by flooding, mangled cars and a giant slab of concrete that had fallen from the pool deck above. They would have to wade through the water and scramble over the vehicles and concrete to the pool deck. Alvarez panicked. She was wearing slippers just like Alfredo's wife Marion. She watched as the athletic Aguero family ascended the broken cars and concrete to the pool deck, with father and son hoisting Gorfinkel up the wreckage. I can't make it, Alvarez thought. Her hands were covered with blood, but she had no scratches and no idea where it came from. But the Lopezes weren't about to leave her behind. Thanks to Alfredo and his son, she says, we were able to climb up and get out. The Aguero, Nia and Lopez families and their little ragtag teams all came out alive and safe. Months later, they found themselves embracing their children and siblings tighter, knowing many of their neighbours would never return, never hug their loved ones again. They have no homes. It's all gone. Clothes, computers, cars, prescriptions. The part of the building that continued to stand was deemed structurally unsound and unsafe for tenants to return. It was demolished ten days later on July 4. It's inconvenient, the survivors say, but it doesn't really matter. They are alive. At night, it's much harder. They still hear the screams in their heads and it all comes rushing back. I have horrible survivor's guilt, says Alfredo. Days after the collapse of the Champlain Tower South, 
The Near family found themselves crammed into a nearby donated hotel room. But Gabrielle Near had trouble sleeping. He tried to push away the what-ifs. It's like a virus. It just never goes away, he says regretfully. I wish I could have done more. These people who are missing, they aren't coming back. Susanna Alvarez is also filled with grief. Hilda Noriega, her mother's best friend, is among the dead. And then there are her other neighbours. Those are people I say hello to, she told National Public Radio. The lady who was in the lift with me that night before when I went home for the evening. We were talking. She did yoga with me. They were the nicest couple. They always wanted me to go out, ride bikes with them. And then there were the people she heard crying from the rubble as she escaped. Some were yelling help, she says. That will haunt me forever. While no definitive cause had been determined for the 40-year-old tower's collapse when this issue went to press, there were warning signs. The New York Times reported that in 2018, a consultant found evidence of major structural damage to the concrete slab below the pool deck and abundant cracking and crumbling of the columns, beams and walls of the parking garage. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.